Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott. I am joined tonight again by returning champion again from the Butter and Bacon, the Good Stuff of Disney Podcast. Dean, welcome back. Dean, how are you? I am doing well. I feel like the Ken Jennings of uh, of the Stuff We Love. You are the Ken Jennings, and uh, you are as smart as Ken Jennings. I thought that from the <laughs> first moment I spoke to you. He might know, you know, if it was sports trivia only, I might give him a run, but uh, maybe Disney trivia, I can give him a run. It's interesting because when I watch Jeopardy and I see the categories that are sports or music or movies, I tend to get the answers right a lot of the time. But anything about geography, um, science, technology, ultra, not, not a clue. Not a clue. No, no. Twelve hundred England. No, don't don't give me like uh, you know stuff from nine hundred years ago. I'm not eight hundred years ago. I can do math. I'm not going to know that stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, they had a, ch- a category the other day. It was it was last week now, of um, children's literature. Mm-hmm. Crushed it. Really crushed it. Read all those books to my son. Yeah, yeah. It was it was good. When the bear snores on shows up on Jeopardy, you, you know it's a good episode. Do you watch every night? I have lately, actually. Um, we used to watch it all the time. And then it, I don't know why I canceled it from taping it every night on the DVR. And since, uh, you know, obviously Alex Trebek passed away last year, I uh, wanted to capture the end of his run. And mm-hmm. then Ken Jennings, which is part of the part of the reference here, uh, is now the guest host because they're still calling him guest host. I think he's doing a great job, too. Um, I wanted to see how he was doing as the new host of the show. So. Uh, it's still going, so we tape it every day. I, I don't always get to watch it every day, but sometimes I'll power watch on the weekend, catch up on, you know, two or three episodes if I fell behind. But I like watching it. I, the funny fun. thing about the way my brain works is, in the moment, I will answer the questions I know. I'll feel dumb about the ones I don't know, and I won't learn a thing. So <laughs> right. they could ask the next same questions the next night. I'm probably only going to pick up like one or two from the night before of having already seen the answers. It just, it just doesn't stick. You know, what's crazy about Jeopardy. It's if, if someone gets something wrong that you think is common knowledge, like a sports thing or a music or movie thing or Disney world thing, and they get it wrong. You're you're thinking to yourself, what is this person doing on Jeopardy? Yet they could get every question right about (laughs) act two, scene four and Hamlet. And it it, it doesn't matter. You know, if they, if they can't tell you that Walt Disney world has four theme parks, they're completely disqualified from Jeopardy. They're idiots, total total (laughs) idiots. But yeah, there was, there was a category the other day. It was, uh, it was a literature category. And I, I think out of the five categories or five questions, I had heard of none of the books and only one of the authors. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some guy ran the whole category, did you know, five for five. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So, right. so that's always exciting when somebody just runs down and gets everything right in a particular category. I, I do have to tell you though, every now and again, they do a math category on there. Mm-hmm. And it seems like every contestant just shies away from that. They want nothing to do with the math questions. I wonder why that is. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's one of those categories I would sweep. And uh, and usually the ones that are like the $800 to $1,000 questions, like I can't believe that's a $1,000 question. But when you're not a math person, I could see why that's, t- that's a tough thing, I guess. Do you want to hear one of the most defining moments of my life? It was when watching Jeopardy and the category was Famous Marias. That was the category. Now, you would, wouldn't think I would be good in this, but they went through all the answers and no one had mentioned Maria Von Trapp from The Sound of Music. So before the question or the answer was shown on the screen, I said, Sound of Music, Maria Von Trapp. And 
it was sure enough. That was, you know, it was Maria Von Trapp's Sound of Music. So I pre-called an answer on Jeopardy. Love it. That's awesome. Have you ever played a trivia game like that where you, you've been in a, a scenario of, like every now and again, my, my old job, we used to do a, a work Jeopardy. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, the, where I'm going with this is I actually got in the hot seat at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It at sure. Hollywood Studios. Uh, it, it's, it creates some pressure, things you wouldn't expect. Uh, yes. Uh, didn't know if you've ever been in that scenario. I've not been in that scenario, but I came very close to being in the hot seat because if you remember the way they did it, they asked the whole audience a question and you answered it on your little yeah. keypad. So I, what I've learned when I've been, even if someone comes up to me and says, hey, Scott, I got a Beatles trivia question. Now I know the Beatles backwards and forwards. I'm, people have called me an expert in Beatles stuff. I'm not an expert, but I know a lot. It's the pressure of the moment. I won't perform. I, I won't get it right. No, it's true. It, 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 it builds a pressure that uh, makes you maybe overthink stuff sometimes or you just blank on it. It's like my yeah, love life. You should go one or the other. <laughs> it's I can't perform. <laughs> I just can't do it. No matter how skilled I may be. <laughs> I, just, I just can't do it. You just lost your G rating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and with that, Tim Cook has been notified <laughs> at Apple. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope our listeners are doing well. We have a really fun episode planned for you tonight. This was Dean's idea. This was not my idea. So you know it's going to be good when the Ken Jennings of podcasting is coming up (laughs) with a podcast idea. But this is obviously the Stuff We Love podcast that we talk about so much on here. We talk Disney, Universal, and travel. We talk movies, music, sports, the whole works. And Dean came up with the idea of just random topics and talking about the stuff we love about a particular topic. So he'll mention something or I'll mention something. And the other one will respond with what they love. What's the stuff they love about that particular thing? And we'll go back and forth and chime in. And this is the first time we're doing this. So uh, the podcast is going through something new here. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes because I have no idea what Dean's going to say. Well, I mean, you know, part of it is motivated by Jeopardy because every now and again they'll have a category like pop potpourri, yeah, potpourri or a hodgepodge, right. uh, and, and so this is like uh, stuff we love hodgepodge. I want to ask you a game show question before we get to this uh, this episode oh, no, tonight. That so, have you seen Name That Tune on Fox? I have, I have. Do you like it? Um, I'm old enough to remember Name That Tune last go around from 35 years ago. Uh, and in some ways, I like the old one better, but I like that I know the songs this time, because when it went around last time, I was like eight. <laughs> so right. they played a lot of music I never heard before. Um, yeah, I like it for the most part. I don't know. There, there's something about it that I feel like is just missing. So maybe I need to keep watching. Maybe they'll catch their groove, pun intended, a little better. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the whole concept of that show. I, I like it. My wife and I watched the first episode recently. We're catching up. There was one thing which hurts the show, in my opinion. It's the awkward audience dancing and singing along. <laughs> it's so it's, weird. You, you know who else has been doing that is um, the mass singer and the mm-hmm. mass dancer. Their audio, I'm pretty positive. I don't have this on fact, but I'm pretty sure their audience clips are not lifetime of what's actually going on. I think they're plugged. And so, so it so just strange. doesn't, it doesn't jive well. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It's like when they were um, piping in audience sounds in some of the sporting events, when there was no audience or it was very limited audience, it just didn't feel right. And I, I get that from name that tune. I agree with you. You know, what's doing a lot of the piping in audience noises, which is really weird. I was watching the Knicks game last night, Knicks bulls. 
it seemed to be aggressive use of fake crowd noise. See, they, they should be used to that. Nobody's cheered for the Knicks in 20 years. So. Well, this was in Chicago, and no okay. one's cheered that much for them either in Chicago. The Bulls, right? The Bulls have not been – when was the last time the Bulls were really good? Uh, 1998. 1998. Well, I mean, that's the last time they were really, really good. Yeah. They made they, the playoffs, though, when they, they had Rose yeah, and Noah. Yeah, when they had Rose, yeah. yeah they, had, they had a couple runs there of, you know. But they never got that far. Right. Never, never, never to the NBA finals. That's for sure. No. Well, Dean, shall we begin the episode tonight? I think we did already. I mean, the heart of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We are live right now. Let's jump in. All right. So we are recording this now. Two days. Was it two days? No, three days before the Super Bowl. Super Sunday. We're very excited. And I want to begin the episode by asking you. What is the stuff you love about Super Bowl Sunday? Oh, wow. Uh, the, the, this could fill a whole episode. I love a lot about Super Bowl Sunday. You know what's frustrating about Super Bowl Sunday? It, it's one of those events where I do a lot of thinking about it and a lot of buildup of what we're going to plan, how we're going to put it together, all the elements. And then I feel like when the moment comes, it's like, boom, and it goes by so quick. Um, it's like my I, love life. <laughs> Uh, okay continue continue uh, i you know i feel like we'll maybe we'll do a little back and forth here but one of the things i love about the super bowl and the super bowl sunday is all of the talk of the ridiculous prop bets that go on because mm-hmm. you know, it's you know in a normal sports world you, you know you, you got gambling legal in your state uh you know you got spreads you got box this you got parlays you got but but like when it comes to super bowl sunday over under on how long the national anthem will be a minute 44 like right. stuff like that i i love the silliness uh, of the way that they try to engage because i mean football's football right you, you don't get this many fans so you got to have the a way to engage the non-football audience on super bowl sunday and of course the commercials do that which is another thing i love um, but i love the silliness of the prop bets and all the discussion they, the, the puppy bowls and stuff like that, that yeah. I, I love all the extras i love i, I agree with you there's so much to bet on when it comes to the Super Bowl. In the past couple of games, my friend Joe and I, what we do is we split bets. We, we chip in a certain amount of money and we just 50-50, we'll split the bets. And if we win, great. If we lose, we lose. But uh, we're 2-0 and in the past uh, two games of, on coin toss. Ah. So heads or tails. One of my favorite Super Bowl memories was when the Giants played the Patriots for the first time. Someone I knew came to watch with me. And he <laughs> bet the coin toss and uh whoever lost whatever the the uh losing side was was who he had bet on he got it wrong and he just cursed and stormed out <laughs> right after the coin toss but uh it is a lot of fun and it look i don't uh encourage aggressive gambling here on the podcast i can't do that but it is fun to have a few bets on the game not just on who's going to win the super bowl but on the fun things like we're talking about and how many yards will Brady throw for him or Holmes coming up this weekend in the game. It's as a sports fan, it's the ultimate day because it's a day where the entire country just stops what they're doing and gets together to watch a game. And you don't get that with any other sports league, not even game seven of the world series and be a Stanley Cup. Nothing Nothing like it's, it's such an event, you know, and I mean, the pregame starts at noon. Right. The game starts around 640 and is over before 10. But mm-hmm. the pregame is twice as long as the game. It's, you, uh, it's a lot of fun. you find that because there's so much hoopla around the game, it almost gets crowded out 
the game becomes a secondary show to the hoopla sometimes. It does. And, and, you know, one of the other things, not this year, but in most years, we host a Super Bowl party in varying degrees of size. So, you know, it's not overwhelming number of people, but we will usually have folks over. And because we do that and because we're the host, I sometimes find that we don't even get to watch the game. And so I DVR the game and there are times I go back and watch it back or especially if there was something big that happened, you, you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see the, the Tyree catch live for example. Oh, sure. So, you right. know, there's important moments in Super Bowl history that I just had to make sure I got to see and build up to the moment. And even though I knew it was going to happen when I finally get to watch it, it's still as a football fan, an exciting moment. So, you know, th- there's just stuff like that, that I agree with you. People, you know, the commercials aren't as good as they used to be in my world, in my mind. Uh, some of them are, but I don't think there's the lineup of great commercials like there used to be. So hopefully we'll get a little return to that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, between cheering for that, the, the performances, the halftime show, the camaraderie, the, the friendly rivals, if you're you know gambling with somebody in your house or you know arguing over Super Bowl squares, whatever you're doing, like all that extra does start to overshadow the actual football game. So it's, uh, it's sometimes hard to just pay attention to the game when there's so much else going around. One of the things along the lines of what we're talking about that I'm going to try to do, and this is truly a first world problem, is spend less time on social media during the games. It seems like with every major sporting event recently, like the AFC NFC championships, the rest of the NFL playoffs, it's really fun to follow along on Twitter because as things happen, people have comments about it and, and analysts can give you spot on right up after it happens analysis of what's happening in the game. The problem is it's very easy to get caught up in that. I've been spending a lot less time on Twitter overall recently with the exception of the sports and I find I'm not focusing as much on the game. So one of the things I really want to do, not just for football, but for all the sports I watch is put the phone down, put the iPad down when I'm watching. Don't get stuck on Twitter reading every piece of commentary that comes <laughs> out. It's hard to do that because Twitter's fun for this stuff, but that's something else. Another- I thought you were going to say you're going to ignore my text messages during the game since I'll text you incessantly. I will I will be here. I'll be, I'll be ready to text, <laughs> especially after you've given me that warning. <laughs> But um, another thing I will say about Super Sunday is, you know, we've been trying to generally eat healthy, work out, be mindful of what we're eating. But in my mind, I always look at a few days of the year where those rules go out the window. New Year's Eve, your birthday, other family members' birthdays, Super Bowl Sunday. It's every Disney those days vacation where you have to and vacation, of course, you know, <laughs> every time we go to uh, Orlando on vacation, <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. But uh, and, and Super Sunday is one of those days, just a chance to have some fun food and fun desserts and stuff you normally wouldn't have on a Sunday night. Yeah. The, the other problem we have with that, you talk about all the buildup before the game. We will usually say, you know, come over, whoever's coming over, come over by noon. We don't care. Come over anytime you want. Most people don't come until the earlier crowd usually shows up between three and four, a lot of folks by five. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my, my wife and I will plan the heck out of this thing. And we will have a spread that has courses and waves of food and folks will usually bring stuff too. And so I can't tell you how many years in a row, you know, we'll start dipping in by four, four thirty when people are over and by six 15, I'm full. <laughs> the game hasn't even started yet. I, I want to like, I want to be able to sit down and have a plate of wings or have some nachos while we're watching the second quarter and I'm just stuffed. So 
pacing yourself. You key, have to pace key, yourself. Key point of uh, of the the spread when it comes to Super Bowl dining. That's very valuable advice because it's <laughs> easy to fill up so early. I have one more question for you about the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl parties. When you have had Super Bowl parties in previous years, not this year, obviously, but do you try to only invite people who are at least semi sports fans? Do you want people in attendance at your party that know nothing at all about anything related to the to sports or the or the Super Bowl or the NFL? I, I have no problem if folks don't know what anything about because, like we said, there's folks who are waiting for the halftime show because they want to see, like last year, Shakira and J Lo, you know, singing. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a great example. My brother is a football coach, uh, so when he watches a game, uh, he watches it differently than most people. Uh, I remember he and I—I've only been to one pro game in, in person actually, and it was Jets Bills, mm-hmm. and uh, the Jets did not win, um, and. And we were sitting in the end zone, upper deck, like far back. And I was like, I wish we had gotten better seats and, you know, first games. Like, but it's only, can only get better from here. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is the best seat in the house. I'm like, how is this the best seat in the house? Like, this feels like I'm watching coaches film because they have like that overhead camera view. And you just, I remember watching Eric Molds go down the sideline for an 87 yard touchdown. And I know what he means. And, you know, I, I played football. I know how to break down film, but not like he does. And and I just remember five steps into the route, you could see there was no safety over the, the top. The corner was beat and he was going to score an 80 plus yard touchdown. Sure, sure. And, and you wouldn't get that if you're watching from the side. So it was actually pretty cool to watch from the, so he is as you know big a football guy, like in that realm as you can be. His wife likes that the overwhelming majority of NFL quarterbacks that have won a Super Bowl have blue eyes. And that's about her one set stat that she can quote sure. in, in football. She does not care at all about the game. She doesn't even care that he coaches. Like it's not even my, my nephew played the, the last few years. So she's been a little bit more involved because her son was playing. Um, but other than that, like, like she's just not a sports person and that's fine. She does her own thing. Um, but you know, they both come over, they both have a great time. And, and uh, so, yeah, I don't care. I, I do not need to be surrounded by my fantasy football league members, you know, for, for the Super Bowl. I'd much rather have a good mix of a bunch of people that are comfortable around each other and have a good time together. I, I have nothing to say in response to that. That is the perfect welcoming, all encompassing. Everyone <laughs> is welcome answer. P- plan it for 2022. You guys are welcome. Okay. So Thank you, you. You, you can come up. How Thank about you? you? Do you, do you guys usually do a, a thing or go to a thing or uh, is it more just uh, stay at home with the family? It has generally been a stay at home with the family thing. I have been with my parents in years past. We're not doing that this year, but it's been low key. That being said, I have hosted Super Bowl parties before. Um, I have great memories of those Super Bowl parties and uh, I enjoy watching with other people as well. I, the only negative I say based on my experiences is kind of like what you've said. I've had a hard time at some of those parties watching the game and I get frustrated, especially if yeah. the giants are in it, which quite frankly is not a recent <laughs> problem to have to deal so, with. So 2022, you're good to come over. Is what you're saying. <laughs> 2022 is a good year. Uh, but uh, to me, it's just sort of a culmination of the NFL season. And it's very cool because the way that a sports fan's mind works is that you're constantly looking ahead to what's coming. So there used to be this very famous radio DJ in New York named Jonathan Schwartz. He was on, he played a lot of Sinatra. That was his thing. He was a Sinatra expert. And every Super Bowl, every Sunday, he hosted a radio show. And the music he played was like Great American Songbook, the songs that Sinatra and Tony Bennett would sing and so forth. 
every Super Bowl Sunday, he would play all baseball songs. Because to me, the Super Bowl is not just <laughs> the big football game where we crown the champion, but it's now where we're looking ahead to spring training, which I think it's underway here in the States on February 11th. Just I say we're about away. a week away right now. Pitchers and catchers yeah. report. That's no, going to be uh, really, I don't know. You know, it's, it's just a total, uh, uh, getting a little off track, then we'll get back on track with the show. But the um, right now in the NHL and NBA, it's not a bubble. That's for sure. Teams no. are, at least in the NHL, are limited with who they're playing. And I don't think baseball is going to be a bubble, right? Am I correct that no, yeah, no, they play one another? Yeah, they're they're looking at a as of right now, even they're looking at a full 162 game schedule, no changes. They they had a proposal to do, cut back to 154, mm-hmm. start the season a little bit later, like end of April instead of end of March, beginning of April, and um, add the play, extra playoff team and and have the universal DH. So kind of adopt some of the changes they kind of want to adopt anyway. And they weren't cutting salaries; they're going to do full 162 pace, 162 game pay, even though they're going to play 154. And that got shot down. Um, so as of right now, as we talk today on, on February 4th, all systems go for a regular 162-game schedule with full travel. I'm looking forward to it. I hope they're able to pull it off. What the NFL has done, I mean, this episode's going to come out after the Super Bowl, so we'll already know who won by that point. Good but... game, by the way. Good game. <laughs> great yesterday. game. Great game. <laughs> but um, the NFL had some difficulties with COVID during the season, yeah. which is not a surprise because it was so prevalent and is so prevalent. Uh, but it's pretty remarkable that we have completed a full season. Yeah, they had some some trouble there in the beginning, but um, I think they figured out a good way to manage it. The NFL benefits from only playing once a week, uh, so they can have lots of testing and plan, and they have very large rosters with practice squads and all that. The uh, The baseball thing last year was very messy, if you remember. I do. The Marlins, yeah. the Cardinals, all that stuff. It got very messy very early, um, and and – you know, basketball ended up in a bubble, which I think helped them a lot in their playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I hope they can come to a good conclusion of how to handle some of these questions that they've had. I don't think forcing it just because the schedule's written and they can't agree is a good mo- model. Mm-hmm. I think they should need to continue that conversation. I, th- I think cutting off the eight games and doing some of the changes they talked about were good. I guess the problem with it is that the, the whole agreement gave the commissioner the ability to shut things down at his whim. And that meant no pay. Like if he, if he decide whatever he decided would cut salaries. Sure. And that's where the players blocked. Um, and I know this isn't a MLB labor union podcast and I'm turning it into one, <laughs> but uh, you are, you know, you're into this stuff. So we can talk about it for a minute, but yeah, no, I think the whole idea is, is a, a good one. They just need to come to the right conclusions because ultimately player safety and, and not having COVID outbreaks and all that stuff should, should be top of mind. Right. It's been fascinating to see the interaction between the players union and the league getting ready for everything ranging from salary to protocol. And what has hurt baseball, I think, throughout this whole thing is a seeming lack of concern about the fans. I remember before the previous baseball season started, Francesa was Mike Francesa was on the radio talking about they need to just get this straightened out for them to argue no one wants to see the millionaires argue about who's getting paid a little less in the millionaire department. The country yeah. is struggling. Now I understand what he's saying, but I also agree like with what you were just saying from the player's perspective that uh, you don't want to give the commissioner too much power where he can unilaterally determine the salaries that the players are going to be getting. It's not, it's not right. fair in my opinion. Yeah. No, you can't, can't give him that much. 
it's, it's it, would, it would be too unfair in that direction but it, the con the concepts are all good that's my point is they they can figure that stuff out and you're right watching millionaires argue with billionaires it amazes me that more often than not the fans side with the billionaires which i find weird right they're usually anti-player and pro-owner which is weird to me it really is but uh but this was a great segue because another thing i wanted to ask you is what is the stuff you love about spring training oh you know what i love so we just got walloped in the northeast with a snowstorm right you got uh, two and a half feet down there. We're pushing yes. a foot and a half over here to the, to the extent that I wasn't sure the groundhog would get out of the hole. Uh, I <laughs> thought he was going to be buried under three feet of snow and, and that game was going to be over this year. Um, but I don't look at, at uh, punks of Tawny Phil as how close we are to spring spring training is how close we are to that. That is my mark on when i know you know pools are going to start to open up and lawns are going to get mowed and all those great smells and sights and sounds the grayness of northeast winter goes away and we get colors and warmth and baseball again and and so that's what spring training means to me uh, it also usually means a, a good reminder that i probably uh, should get a valentine's day present because <laughs> they usually <laughs> report right around valentine's day right that's true so, that's your that's your cue yeah the, you know the other thing i really like about spring training and it's it's been the benefit has been with things like MLB network and some of the other uh, extra sports channels that cable networks are carrying where you can find stuff online. There's a lot more baseball to watch now than there used to be. Mm -hmm. It used to frustrate me when I was younger. Spring training was like maybe channel nine picked up four games all spring of the Yankees and you didn't really get to watch. Now you can watch all of it. Right. And it's, it's, it's daytime baseball. I, I love daytime baseball. Me too. It's better I, than nighttime. I think it's better than nighttime baseball. And maybe that's because more of the games are played at night. So daytime baseball feels like a treat. Uh, I'm not, not sure why, but I just, I like daytime baseball and, and spring training games usually are. So I like watching them play in the sunshine. I like seeing the fans enjoying it. And there's such a good relaxed atmosphere uh, for spring training. It's just the whole thing. Just it's, it's a joy. It, it like, it, it warms the heart for it a baseball. Warm the heart. And let me ask you, does the fact that many of the spring training games take place in Florida make you think of disney world <laughs> <laughs> everything and, makes me think of disney world <laughs> that's true that's true but the yeah Yankees, well especially I, when the braves used to play right i mean when they were at the, the yeah. wide world of sports that was cool i went to two Braves spring training games in disney world one of them was against um the yankees so cc sabathia pitch for the yankees and Very then nice. another one was against the los angeles dodgers and at that game a player on the dodgers named jason romano threw me a ball and i caught it sweet you don't forget that no, no. So I've never been to spring training. I've been to lots of double A baseball. Is there a similar feel? I can't comment with certainty because I've never been to minor league baseball, but really, I've never been. You but, have good minors down there in New Jersey. Uh, well, it's really more in. I could probably get in trouble for saying this because there would be people that would disagree with me, but I don't look at it as real minor league baseball. It's more the independent league baseball. They have, uh -huh. for example, the Canadian American Professional League. Then there's another. Although this year, a very recent change in New Jersey is that I forget which team it is, but one of them became the Yankees double A affiliate. So that's well, the closest. You, minor you've had the Trenton Thunder for a while down there. Trenton Thunder. Right. That's, that, that's been South. the Yankees for a while. Yeah, but uh, that is Yankees for uh, yeah. that's true. But there's one closer to me. That's double A. But anyhow. Uh, I will say this, from what I understand from people that have been to minor league baseball, there's the intimacy of the 
fan experience. Yeah. And that certainly exists with spring training. I mean, that when I, I mentioned a moment ago, I caught this ball. I literally was sitting down the right field line. Romano was with a bunch of other players. It was not that long a throw for him to reach me. <laughs> it's very intimate. Yeah, and, I mean, we've been, we have minor league baseball in Hartford. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very easy for us now to hop up to a yard goats game which is their mascot and we wait and usually get tickets when trenton comes to town so we can watch all the yankee minor leaguers is your team a red sox affiliate they are a colorado rockies affiliate wow i did not see that coming yeah me either (laughs) and it switched did it switch over are they still i think they so they used to be in new britain so this is a long history i'm going to give you they used to be in new britain and they were called the new britain um rock cats for a long time and prior to that, they were the New Britain Red Sox. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, they were actually a Yankee affiliate. So, and this goes like pre pre my birth, I think. So they've had the Yankees Red Sox time for a while, which makes a lot of sense. Then all of a sudden, they were the Twins, and they were the Twins for a long time. So when we used to go to the games in New Britain, you'd see like Paul, uh, what's his name, um, Justin Morneau, and uh, and Joe Maurer um, yeah. photos from when they were coming up through the minors. And then it, they moved to Hartford, and they became the Colorado Rockies. So. Um, I don't know a lot about the Rockies minor leagues, but, uh, you know, we like to see when the Yankees come to town and, and sure. um, you know, same thing like you experienced, you know, we can get seats behind the Yankees dugout for like you know, 12 bucks a seat or something like that. The really expensive seats might push to 20 and, and um, you know, we used to go and we'd get there pretty early and, and my son would always wear his glove and he, you know, he'd get out there and run the bases after the game. Like he had to be on the field, all that kind of stuff. And uh, there was a, a Every now and again, you could just tell like which prospects are going to be pros. And there was a, a stocky little catcher that flipped the ball to my son one time and look him up in the program. And it was Gary Sanchez. Wow. Just a few years ago. So he, he, uh, he didn't get the ball autographed. Unfortunately, he did get uh, Tyler Austin's autograph. Really? He was, okay. He was there. So, you know, we, we've seen some players come through. The, um, well, I have to see what happens with Sanchez this season because a lot of Yankees fans are not, well, of course, they're rooting for him, but they're disappointed in him. Uh, and I get it, but uh, he is a powerhouse. He has he, he's a strong hitter. And um, that's probably not the most in-depth baseball. <laughs> he's a strong hitter. But no, I, he uh, but he, he hasn't consistently performed where I think fans expected him to, given the start that he had. He may have been on the all-star team his rookie year, if I recall correctly. And I don't think he's reached that level in subsequent years. My assessment of him, and to an extent, Glaber Torres too, and even Clint Frazier, but not as much as the other two. I think baseball came so easily to those guys. Like when when we saw Sanchez play in double A, he was throwing guys out at second base from his knees Mm. because his arm was just more powerful than anybody else that plays catcher at the double-A level. So he didn't have to get up and make the throw. He didn't have to be perfect on his game. Then you go to the major league level, and the guys running the bases are faster. The base Mm. dealers are more skilled. And you have to be as precise as you can be because you don't have that good margin of error that you had on pure skill. And same thing with the hitting. Like, you could just tell when he hit the ball, it didn't sound like everybody else in double-A hitting the ball. But when you get to the major league level, a lot of the guys hit the ball like you hit. And the fielders are better and the pitchers are better and pure talent alone isn't enough. And I think it caught up to him last year, but if you look at, and I don't want to get super uber geeky on you, but if you go to those next level, next gen stats, his power and the way he made contact were as good as they were his rookie year last year. Mm -hmm. He hit the ball at people a lot. Right. 
Now, my thing with Glaber is I think he's a lazy base runner, and I think he's a lazy fielder. And I think if he ran harder and fielded harder, he would cover up a lot of the problems that he's had. Um, but again, he's he's probably just grew up so much better than everybody else and blew through the minors, really. Um, right. and, and it was such a highly touted prospect uh, that he's just got a little maturing to do, I think. But the, both those guys, if they play the way they did two years ago, I, right. I think you're going to see a pretty deep playoff run. Frazier has also improved dramatically defensively. He was always good yes. offensively, but the knock against him early on was he's not good, good defensively. And that's true. I mean, at the beginning of his uh, major league career, he was making a lot of mistakes uh, in the outfield, but he has improved on that front and he's electric up at bat. He comes oh, through like the him. clutch too. He's yeah. very confident at the plate for a young player. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that he wasn't asserting himself before, which is why he wasn't getting, he, he deserved a full-time role out there. And he was never going to get it because he didn't really assert himself. He didn't really, he, he didn't have those like little extra hustle plays that you're supposed to as a younger guy. Right. And and he just kept getting buried on the bench, unfortunately. So And it also is a reflection of who else is on the Yankees in the outfield positions. You have yeah. Judge, Gardner, Hicks. Um, Stanton for 22 games a year. Stanton, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. That's disappointing because I was always a big Giancarlo fan when he was with the Marlins, and I was so thrilled when he came to the Yankees, and uh, it has not lived up to expectations. And I have to tell you, I'm nervous about Judge. The injuries are very significant for him in just the past couple of seasons. He he can't be going through injuries like this uh, and performing for us the way we would like him to. Well, they're, they're either each going to hit 40 home runs this year or they're not going to combine for less than 40 home runs a year. That's the, true. The, the, the talent and the power is not ever a question with Stanton and Judge. It's, it's all about availability. The, the most important ability there is in sports is availability. Who will be the Yankees' biggest competition in the AL East this year? Will it be the Rays or the Blue Jays? The Blue Jays have made some major offseason improvements. I think it's the Blue Jays. I think the Rays have, have lost too much. Although, uh, sneaky little signing they did the other day, uh, bringing Archer. Chris Archer back. Yeah. The, the one thing I've come to respect with the Rays is if they trade away a prospect, he probably wasn't that good. And if they re-sign somebody or bring somebody in, he's probably good. So. But see, the interesting thing about that is with Archer, when he was with Tampa Bay, he was a solid player, an all-star and so forth. When he went to the Pirates, I guess, that's where he went after yeah. He did not put up those numbers. No. But they must. Now, do you remember after the Rays were eliminated in the postseason a couple of years ago, he broadcasted a game for ESPN. He was in the booth for one game and he was phenomenal. I do remember like, that. He was people were amazed at how great a job he did as a broadcaster. <laughs> that uh, I really um, I, I would love it if one day I could uh, listen to him offer commentary more. It's, you it's know what I liked about it? Sometimes the the players or former players is which is usually the case, they get too technical. Archer had that great balance of like knowing exactly what's going on in the game and knowing all the technical stuff, and then communicating it to a, a regular audience. That's the Tony awesome. Romo skill right there. Ugh. Tony Romo, not a fan. Bring back Phil Sims. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where's Al Michaels and John Madden when you need them? Al Michaels, there's this, there was this whole special on the MLB Network the other day of famous Al Michaels calls. He's really, I mean, when you look at his history of the sports events he he's a, covered. He said a few things in his years. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And don't forget um, his Disney tie-in. Yep, traded for Oswald. Traded for Oswald. That was, that was a great trade. So speaking of Disney, that gives me a segue away into my <laughs> next question. I got a few Disney stuff we loves here. 
I'm going to ask you, Dean, what, what do you love about Disney Plus? Ooh, Mandalorian. <laughs> Golden Globe I, nominee, The Mandalorian. I would, I, would, uh, I would pay the Disney Plus subscription fee just to watch The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. It was that good. Yes. Uh, this last season, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't watch it for the, uh, for the movies. I really don't. I, I don't watch a lot of, like, the stuff that we probably had on VHS slash DVD over the years. I'm not usually firing up, you know, and, and rewatching Tangled or something like that. We, right. I like that I can if I want to, um, but we don't. But you know what I've gotten into lately that I love on there? Have you watched The Sunrises? I have not, but I know exactly what you're talking about. So for our listeners, Disney Plus released video footage of sunrises at the Disney parks over Cinderella Castle, Tree of Life, and so forth. And I was uh, recording the episode the other night with Kyle from um, my friend from Twitter. And he had on the background during our Zoom call that segment on Disney+. Plus. Beautiful. It's awesome. It's really cool. You like that. Oh, here's what you do. You get up in the morning. You have the timer already set on the pot of coffee. Or if you're a tea drinker, make your tea. The kids aren't up yet. You go, you put on that sunrise, you sit there, and you enjoy an hour of peace. Mm. It's just fantastic. And as a Disney fan, it just adds so much yeah. to the day. It's it's, it's a great... Uh, it, I will admit, if you're not in the right mood for it, an hour drags. <laughs> like you kind of want to watch it on fast right. forward. Um, but yeah, if you, if you're like just looking for a peaceful way to start a morning, it's, it's awesome. What is your favorite park to watch the sunrise at? Animal Kingdom. It's beautiful there. It, uh, Magic Kingdom, a very close second. Mm. Uh, but Animal Kingdom was. I probably could go back and forth between the two. There's nothing like. I love a lot about Disney, but I'm not sure there's much that can top looking at the castle it is the classic disney experience disney world experience sessions yeah if anything maybe i'm wrong about this but i think the castle at disney world is more significant than the castle at disneyland i have not been to disneyland but uh from what i understand and what i've seen in videos i i and from what i heard from people talking as well i think you're right mm -hmm. i don't you know which is interesting because a lot of the movie clips, uh, the castle that you're seeing there does kind of more resemble the Disneyland one right. in the opening. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the idea of the castle was really good at Disneyland and they have the hub and spoke design because of it and all that. But yeah, the the castle at Disney World is like the icon. It is it's just right. the thing to be. Um, and it seems like maybe some of the other castles around the world have overtaken it in beauty, yes. but um, maybe, maybe not in importance. I agree with that 100%. You know, if you could, I happen to be familiar with what the castles look like at the Disney parks, but you could show someone a picture of the Shanghai Disney castle, which is magnificent. They may not be able to tell, well, that's Shanghai versus Paris or um, even Disneyland. But when you see Cinderella's castle, not the one covered in cake, but <laughs> they'd be able to that recognize. It is distinct, though. It is distinct. <laughs> but they would be able to say, yep, that's Walt Disney World. And, and yep. there is something so thrilling every time you go when you arrive at the magic kingdom for the first time and you make that turn down main street and you see that castle it's never never boring always exciting oh, and it's the perfect backdrop for fireworks i love disney plus too the one thing i really wish disney plus would put on more of are those classic walt disney television programs i love I relaxing and watching the vintage disney programming i find it informative and, and fascinating I wish we had more of that. They have released some things. 
I think over time more will come out, but there's a whole lot of theme park stuff they could release. That's part of their archives that have not come out yet. But the sunrises, like you talked about, Dean, are a welcome addition to Disney Plus for sure. Absolutely. You know what? Um, not to make this an entire sports podcast, but uh, they own ESPN. I'm surprised there's not some ESPN programming on Disney Plus, like the 30 for 30s, for example, mm-hmm. all those great documentaries. Or how about some classic ABC, like Wide World of Sports shows? Right. I guess they can't release everything at once. And I'll be honest with you. We've talked about this on the podcast before. There is so much to watch now between all of the streaming services and all of the sports that there's just a limit as to how much you can watch at any one time. I'm overwhelmed just on the sports alone. So you add in that TV shows and movies. It's <laughs> it's a lot. That's true. But um, Disney Plus is a great service. So I wanted to ask you that. And let me throw another Disney stuff we love at you. What is something you love about the Disney hotel experience versus off-property hotels? Well, I'm going to sound a little snobbish when I say this, um, but the, my only experience of off-property hotels would be non-Orlando hotels. Uh, I have not really stayed off-property for a Disney vacation, unless you count staying at Universal, which uh, the quality of the Universal hotels are, are really good. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't consider that to be off-property. Um, you know, the, the Disney cast members, I think, are, are just a little more engaging, uh, has been my experience uh, when, I'm, when I'm staying at the Disney resorts. And there's just something about knowing that you can pretty much get around without having to, to worry about how you travel mm-hmm. and being in that bubble and having the, the full like embrace of the Disney vacation that makes staying on property more magical for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of folks that'll be critical of Disney resorts because they are very expensive. Um, I can go stay in the middle of Times Square uh, at certain times of the year for the same price as a Disney moderate. Yes. You know, that, that, that shouldn't be the same price point. Um, and, and the amenities at the Grand Floridian would pale in comparison to what you can get at like a Waldorf Astoria. True. Um, but Waldorf isn't uh, one monorail stop away from the Magic Kingdom. Right. So I am really in. Um, go ahead, finish your response. No, no, Manila. go ahead. I was going to say, I think we talked about this recently, but I am really intrigued a year from now, two years from now, since Disney is eliminating the Magical Express and is eliminating the extra magic hours in the traditional format, the how that's going to change Disney hotels. In other words, you can go to Disney World and you can stay in a beautiful suite at the Waldorf or at the new JW Marriott Bonnet Creek. And that will cost you less in some cases than a regular size room at beach club, yacht club, maybe even a moderate, depending on the time of year you go and what, what it's looking like, how that will change vacation experiences. Because I have not stayed at the Waldorf, but I know someone who was there and I went to visit them I saw their hotel room, saw the pool. It is a gorgeous hotel. It is a very different feel from a Disney-owned hotel. It's much more corporate, but it is a luxurious property. And I think a lot of people are going to do an analysis. Well, do I want to stay in a regular room at Art of Animation, or do I want to stay in a suite at the Waldorf? That's going to be an interesting thing to see play out. It it will. And I don't know if the high-speed train idea will be fully functional by the time they sunset magical express because that would be a game changer if you could just hop on a train at the airport 
show up at Disney Springs and then the Disney bus fleet is uh, distributing you throughout property. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Disney has an alternative in mind, if they're going to be doing something else, but I do know this. Historically, Disney resorts stay between 85 and 90% full of capacity mm-hmm. for the most part, most of the year. And so that's a lot of revenue. And in a post-COVID world, because can't go back to a non-COVID world, so let's go to a post-COVID world. Sure. Uh, if they're not hitting those benchmarks, they're going to do something different. They also must know, based on the analysis they have done, that when people get back to traveling, they're going to be, it, even with Magical Express eliminated and some of the other perks taken away, they must know they're, they're probably going to hit certain levels of capacity. Oh, yeah. They would they, not they, have made that change. No, I mean, they're always game planning around that. that. That is definitely a part of it. Even though, let's say the high-speed rail is set up and you could go to Disney Springs and then the buses take you to your hotels. Isn't it still a hassle if you have to take around your own luggage? Part of the yeah. thrill of Magical Express was that they would take care of that for you. In some ways, it would be easier just at the airport to pay for an Uber, which would probably be 25 30 bucks, give or take, to take you direct to your hotel where you don't need to... Yeah lug the luggage on a train and then transfer to a bus. I, I know this is a hot take. Um, I didn't find a lot of magic in Magical Express. I was not a fan. Can you elaborate, please? <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, my, my wife and I, her, and, and Paul mocked me for this. He says, I like to just be in control. Um, but it's not about being in control. It's about, there are two ways that you have to spend in, in a Disney vacation. There's two things that, that tick away. One is the money in your pocket, right? You spend a lot of money. The other thing is you spend time. And so your time is value on a Disney trip. And I do not like sitting around when I have alternatives that could get me moving faster. And I can't tell you how many times we hustled off the plane, knew we didn't have to get our luggage, got right over to Magical Express, got in line, mm-hmm. and then the bus didn't leave for like 40 minutes. Right. And or they'd let you on the bus, then you'd sit there and you're like, okay, the bus is like 60% full. Maybe we could go now. Right. And they sit there and they sit there and they, and, and like, I get it. They want to be efficient. They want to get as many bodies on the bus as possible. Um, but it, it stinks when you're the first guy on the bus, you wait 30 minutes for the bus to fill up and then they do five resort stops and you're fifth in line. Yes. Understood um, completely. So if an Uber can get me there faster, if renting a car and driving myself gets me there faster, if a high-speed train at least gets me to property and then I'm just a a one-stop bus ride away, that might be faster. So I got to think Disney's thinking about efficiencies and way to do this. Ultimately, they had to come down to a a Amir's contract ending and and some sort of spitting match in in the negotiation. Um, But I doubt that they just flat-out canceled Magical Express without an alternative in mind. It might not be a good alternative. Disney's made mistakes with that kind of stuff before, mm-hmm. but they, it can't just be a flat out drop. To me, I personally, this is a personal call. Everybody's different on this. I like having a rental car on my Disney trips. Uh, and even with a rental car, I will rely on some Disney modes of transportation. I really try to avoid the buses. Uh, the buses, to me, they kind of the problem that you just mentioned, Dean, you could get on the bus and it'll still take you 45 minutes to get from your hotel to the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. Or, and that's frustrating. I do like going on the boats. I now love going on the Skyliner and so forth. But to me, having the rental car is a big plus. Another drawback to Magical Express, even though I liked the idea they would take your luggage and it would be in your room or back at the airport when you fly home, 
I remember on one particular trip just waiting and waiting for the luggage. And Magical Express didn't do anything wrong. They were within the time frame that they said the luggage could arrive. But it really got frustrating because we had checked into the Polynesian. We were getting it was almost dinner time. We were getting ready to go out and we hadn't had our luggage arrive. And you feel it then. You definitely get get a little frustrated. Hey, so yeah. Yeah, you, you want to clean up, you're ready to go for your day, and you, and you don't have the change of clothes you wanted. Now, the good thing is, whether you took Magical Express back or not, you could always check your bags to go back. I always like that feature, right? because they always have those bags desks. Um, you know, those run by the bags.com company, whatever they're called. Um, so I wonder, I, I'm assuming those are going away if the buses are going away. I would think so. Um, but that was, I, that was a perk I really liked. And we did that even with <laughs> sure. the rental car. We, we would, you know, let's say we're staying at the boardwalk, we'd, we'd dump the bags, take the car, drive over to the Polynesian, have Kona Cafe breakfast, monorail to the Magic Kingdom, and then get to the airport, you know, when we get to the airport for our flight. So it, it was a real convenience to have that. Sat, that that's the saddest part of uh, Magical Express going away for me, it is, is the yeah. fact that bags bags for the return probably won't be there anymore. I miss, I miss talking about this makes me miss Disney. I really am. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time now. It's been a long time and we're fortunate because a lot of people go a lot less than we do. And, you know, but it, it hurts. It, it does. And yeah, nothing. I can Listen, I miss Yankee stadium. Uh, going back to mm. sports. I miss Yankee stadium. Yeah. Uh, as much as I used to complain a bit about going into the city for work, I miss going to Manhattan. Mm. It's been a long time since I've been on a Metro North train. Right. Uh, we're coming. It's coming up on 11 months. I could tell you the last time. Oh no! You know what? When I went in March, I didn't take the train because COVID. So the last time I had to go to New York for work was right before the world kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. And I remember COVID was kind of like it was in your vocabulary at this point because it was early March, and I drove into the city instead of taking the train, which you know we're talking about this convenient way to get from A to B. Driving to Manhattan in the morning is never convenient. Never convenient. <laughs> you, you can get from Connecticut, like where I am in Connecticut, to the West Side Highway in like an hour. And then you can get down the West Side Highway in an hour. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't work. It is so. a grueling experience. And you realize when you're yeah. there, when you're traveling there, you could be in Florida. This is no joke. And the, uh, the flying time to Florida and Orlando would be less than the <laughs> amount of time true. it would take you to drive from Connecticut to Manhattan some days. No, it's true. I mean, uh, we I remember going to Yankee Stadium. And because if we went early enough, because it wasn't very popular back in the early 90s, we could get from my house to Yankee Stadium in an hour and 10 minutes. Mm. But then if you went like on a Yankees Red Sox weekend game, yeah, two hours, easy, if not more. It's just traffic. And, and so, yeah, I, that's right. I drove. So I, I guess the last time I was on a train to New York City was uh, in January. I went to see uh, Jagged Little Pill. Great, I remember when you went to great see Great musical, by the way. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's been over a year now. It just, it feels weird. Manhattan's a big part of our life. Like we, we like to get into the city a couple of times a year, more than a couple of times a year. Um, and, and haven't done it in a year now. It's, it's tough. It's going to be weird when you do get back to doing it, getting used to it and what you, what you feel comfortable doing. Everybody's going to have yeah. their own tolerance for this stuff. Something you mentioned earlier on the podcast tonight, Dean, I guess, did you mention tonight the Super Bowl halftime show from last year, Jennifer Lopez yes. secure? Yes. When I think back on the world pre COVID before things really got out of hand, I think back on the Super Bowl last year and that yeah. particular halftime show, which got a lot of attention just because it was a very uh, sexy halftime show. And uh, Shakira falls into the category of stuff we love. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then the world basically shut down. You know, I remember going out to eat 
at a local restaurant when COVID concerns were starting to get to the United States. But this is a time where people were not wearing masks and, you know, yeah. the world was still pretty normal. And I remember getting up to go to the bathroom. And as I was walking to the bathroom or back, I heard people at a table talking and they were saying, yeah, Corona, it's, it's the same name as the beer. And they were just, <laughs> it was all new. And uh, little did we know what, what would happen in the world. And uh, I was actually at a, th- a crowded theater. It may have been, I really don't remember. It was February last year or, or something like that, right before everything got crazy. And I think back and I wonder how many people in that audience were positive. It was the tri-state area. We were one of the hardest hit areas yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic. The, you guys were the heart of it back then. Um, so, What's yeah. the last movie you saw in a theater? The Invisible Man. Wow. I remember that, uh, which was early in 2020, I guess. We saw Sonic. Remember Sonic the Hedgehog yeah, movie? Yeah, that was a big success. I, yeah, I believe that was the last one we saw in a theater. I think that was right before things shut down. Right. What was really weird is so um, in my town, we have a movie theater and it's it's right along one of the main roads. And we actually where we live, we can come through the back part of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And that gets us to cutouts where we will go on a highway. We'll go to a, a deli there. Like it's a, it's a pretty often used uh, area for us just because of where we live versus where, where it's located. And for the longest time, I would drive by and, and look at the movie theater and the posters hadn't changed. Yeah. And you want to talk about a, a like a reminder of a world stop in time. It's when you start to see movie theater posters that are six, eight, 12 months old. Uh, right. It feels weird to drive by that. Yeah, it's strange. And along the lines of what you've just mentioned earlier tonight, I was watching a YouTube video by the YouTuber paging Mr. Morrow. And he went to a shopping and restaurant complex right uh, outside the gates of Walt Disney World, near the Disney Springs area, called the Crossroads, I think was the name oh, of it. Yeah, I know that. And there was some place in there, a Crab Shack, I forget the full name of the restaurant, which has been shut down now for a long time. And the restaurant had things written up, like specials on the wall, as if it was still open for business, but it's been shut down for a while now. It's very eerie, very, uh, very strange, very strange. I've been near movie theaters, like you just said, where the old movie posters are up. And then when the movies reopened, you got new movie posters, but they weren't for the most part normal movies. You had a couple <laughs> of big theaters, big movies in release, like Tenet, the Christopher Nolan movie was a big one. But then these very garbagey, nothing <laughs> movies that would be shown in theaters. And you'd see these movie posters and it would just be... I remember seeing people buying tickets to go to the movies and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just such a crazy thing to me. Back you know what's the interesting? Right we yeah. have a theater that opened up, but it's not showing anything first run. Mm. You are, it's basically like, you know, you can do a movie theater birthday party. Sure. You could rent it's, it out. Yeah. It's basically like that. So if you go, you pay, I think they're charging like a hundred bucks for a certain catalog of film, 200 bucks for the other. And it's you and whoever you feel like bringing. Right. So, you know, they're getting flat dollar paid for the use of the theater, but they're also trying to control the exposure. They don't have the uh, snack thing open and you're in a theater with only the people that you decide to be in a theater with. Right. It's kind of a cool idea, but I can't, it's not sustain, sustainable for them. No. Do you, yeah, it's, I, uh, it's, it's even now, more than a, or let's say a year into this pandemic here in the United States, it still is jarring to see, but we should go to a happier topic here. I, I'll, I'll throw out 
one more Sorry. stuff we love because the episode we did, we did yeah. wind down that path really weirdly Sorry. <laughs> let's, let's go to a, uh, a happier topic i'm going to give you two more dean all right to close out the show because we are starting to go long even though i could do this i could go all night if you're <laughs> You, hey, want. you can always edit out the parts you want to cut out. We'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, Dean, is the stuff you love? Speaking of traveling, about airports, because airports are places where people kind of they dread going and they don't want to go the long lines at security and just sitting waiting around. But I actually like airports. I find it Do very you? romantic. Now, don't get me wrong. If I'm sitting there with an ultra long delay, I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, if I see the weather is bad outside, I'm not looking forward to flying in that weather. But in terms of just uh, the airport experience, what is something you like? Even if you don't like it overall, something you like. Okay, so I'm going to give you two answers. Yes. One is what I like. Uh, so I have to travel a little bit for work, not too often, but every now and again. I like when I go to, let's say, like, have you ever been to the Indianapolis airport? No. All right. So the Indianapolis airport is adorable. It, it's not huge. Um, but the, when you walk in there, they have like a tribute to flying and they have a tribute to the Indy 500. Cool. And I, I like when airports have their local touch. So I'll, I'll toot the horn of my local airport uh, up north of Hartford, Bradley airport. They have a whole section where it's up against the big glass window. As you can see it onto the tarmac lined with rocking chairs, just to give you a nice kind of old town feel like mm. that, that sort of throwback. I, so I like when airports have the, characteristics of the culture of the area in which you're flying i do not like when you have like the super uh, i don't even know what the right word is for it but like o'hare yeah i don't really like o'hare it's huge it feels like an enormous mall i mean it's great that it has as many food options as you could imagine so you're not going to go hungry at o'hare right there's, there's always somewhere to eat around the corner but there's nothing in there that distinctly screams i'm in chicago true at least not to me maybe there are and there's parts i haven't explored yet um, but my own local airport, along with the rocking chairs, what I really like is they have a, a hotel right at the airport. And I, I've said this a thousand times across the podcast I've been on, but we usually take the first flight out in the morning. So we yeah. like that 5.30, 6 a.m. flight out of Connecticut. So we often will will take our points through what is now the Marriott, used to be the Starwood Club, and we'll stay at that airport the night before. And I love that because I love starting... Hotel? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's technically a Sheridan. Okay. Um, so I love staying at the airport the night before we fly because it starts vacation early. There's a really cute restaurant close by that we usually go to, and then we just we go to bed early. We get in the room, we watch the planes come in, we watch the planes go out. I don't think my son's finds that as magical going on eleven as he did when he was six, mm. but uh, at my age, I still find it magical. I love yeah. watching the planes fly in and fly out. The only problem is I don't sleep well. Just the night before vacation, I don't sleep well. So because it, you're excited it does, about the trip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also you hear all the airport traffic. True. <laughs> so, I, but I love that experience. I love that it, it says start a vacation for us. And I love that I don't have to get up at two in the morning and drive to the airport because I'm already there. I like that answer. And I like the way that the Hartford Bradley airport does have the rocking chairs. That's, that's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, um, I guess in Orlando's case, the personal touch would be the Disney stores, the Universal stores. Yeah, you got the Disney store, Universal store. Yeah, all that. And, and they're decorated that way. There's certain sign signage and posters and stuff. Right. You know, you know, you're in Orlando Airport. You're, you you didn't accidentally fly into Kentucky. That right? is true. I mean, it's, it's and you know where you are. When you go, go into McCarran International Airport in Vegas, it feels like Vegas. You get off the plane, you see the posters for the Carrot Top concerts. 
and you know you're you know you're there. You slot machines in the terminals. I mean, it's which I have used while waiting to leave. Oh, those <laughs> have got to be the tightest machines in the in the place. Um, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I I like airports because particularly when you're going on vacation because it's the promise of the trip, yeah. and you know you know if you're leaving Connecticut or New Jersey. Even though there's a lot to love about those states, if you're going to a place like Florida or the Bahamas or something really cool, different, different like Europe or Asia, something like that, you know, in a few hours, you're going to be someplace totally different, which speaks to the power of flight and how unbelievable it is. But even when you're coming home, it's not the same thing, but it's the promise of future trips and other Disney World vacations you take are the Universal Studios, <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights, you know? Ice cream at Disney World. It's all connected to the airport experience. Absolutely. I do like eating at airports. I, I like too. when you can get to the, see. I know there are people, and I don't know how they do this. It would stress me out. But like if they had a, a say, noontime flight, mm-hmm. they'll go to the airport at 11 o'clock. Can't do it. No. Like I would much rather get there early, get yes. settled, park the car, whatever you got to do, get through. I, I actually like eating at the restaurants at the airports. Usually they're overpriced, they're not often great choices. Um, but certain airports have some good restaurants and, and, yeah, you know, it's, it's always a good and different experience. I, I try to avoid the regular um, fast food places at airports. I'd right. much rather find a, a sit down restaurant or a food court. Cause sometimes in the food courts, you'll get local options. That is true. I also, to me, if you could sit down and enjoy your meal at the airport, it shows that you have arrived comfortably in time. And if you exactly. want to get something to eat before you get on the plane, What's the point of rushing? I, I was flying out of Newark to Orlando. I got there really early. The line, I'm TSA pre, but the line was, it was empty. And I sat at a bar and I had food brought to me and I, it was totally chill and relaxed. I was watching mm-hmm. football. I was checking Twitter, not surprisingly. <laughs> and uh, it makes for a much more laid back, comfortable experience. Yeah, I remember uh, one of my work trips. I, uh, my coworker and I, we finished up our meeting got back to the airport we had like two and a half hours before the flight was going to go home maybe close to three hours yeah i grabbed one of the restaurants had a cocktail had lunch you know relaxing. Just, just relaxing instead of having to run around crazy trying to make your flight and dean speaking of traveling let's do one more i'm going to be very specific here because i know this is a hotel that you love and i want you to tell us a little why what is the stuff you love about the hard rock hotel at universal studios orlando Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a show in and of itself. It's uh, the, the two minute version, the two minute version. I'll start at the kitchen. I love the kitchen. Great restaurant, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I'm a big fan of theme park restaurants that serve all three meals with yes. three distinct menus. Mm-hmm. Don't give me the all day meal. I, th- that was the worst change in the sci-fi uh, experience over at, uh, Hollywood Studios. Yes. I want a lunch menu and I want a dinner menu and the kitchen fulfills that. And am I correct? There's not many restaurants at Disney that do that, right? It's pretty much more universal menu yeah. experience. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, Olivia's, although Olivia's, they, ha- yes. they, they had shifted, I think. So they, they may do more of a pseudo lunch dinner menu, um, but they were one that did. But like, for yeah. example, if you're an Epcot and you want to, is Chef de France even open for lunch? Oh, yeah. So if you go there for lunch, is it literally the exact same menu as it is for yes. dinner? Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive it is. Um, Kona that's an expensive used to have, restaurant. Kona used to have a distinct lunch and dinner menu. That was always one yes. of my favorites. And they have a, uh, certainly for breakfast, they have their own menu. I guess now their lunch and dinner are, are the same? 
The lunch yeah, and menus? I, I think it's mostly the same, if not completely the same now. Mm. I'm trying to remember if the sushi bar opens at lunchtime. It's been a while since I've been there at lunch. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, I, I like the kitchen and I like the pool there. I actually like the pool at the Hard right. Rock. Um, it's guitar shaped, correct? Nope, maybe. It's a great question. I thought it was. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I, well, I, I. So my my experience there was only a two nighter, and we didn't get to explore because it was a little bit. Uh, why didn't we explore the pool? I don't know if it was crowded or something. It was something that we ended up not doing. There, there there may be more than one pool, and they may have a guitar shaped pool, but their main pool I don't believe is shaped like a guitar. Mm -hmm. um, but it has great cabanas around it and, and great seating, uh, and it didn't feel packed even though there was a lot of people. Like we didn't go in the water because there was too many people. We didn't feel like doing it. Uh, mostly because we we're tired, to be honest, because we had uh, last time I was there, we were coming off a cruise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, post post cruise, you, uh, you just kind of want to hang around. Right. And so hanging around at the pool is a lot different than having to go be active in the pool. Um, but yeah, no, I, the location is fantastic. Um, the rooms are, are really nice. The lobby is it's very hard rock lobby. So like, if that's your thing, if you like music history and you like artifacts, like right. I'm a sucker for like, Hey, there's Jimi Hendrix guitar in the wall. Totally. So I like that. Uh, some people probably don't, they think it's tacky or it's just not their theme. Um, but the hard rock's fantastic. It's, it's what I haven't stayed everywhere at universal yet, but it's my favorite of the places I've stayed. I've stayed at Portofino, Sapphire falls, Royal Pacific. I loved all of them. I really did. Uh, Universal's hotels are out of this world good. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, Dean. The price of a regular size room at Hard Rock, I'm very confident, is less than the regular size room price at Grand Floridian, let's say. Now, they're totally different hotels, but the Hard Rock Hotel is amazing. So if, let's say, you're going down to Orlando for a week and you're going to be spending half the week at Universal and half the week at Disney and you don't mind commuting to the one of the places... It has to go into your thinking where you want to spend the money. We got a king suite at Universal mm -hmm. for less than the regular price of a room at the Grand Floridian. Exactly. So that's what I'm talking about. And I remember I've been to the Palm restaurant at Hard Rock. The Palm is, it's not unique to Universal. You, there's tons of Palms all over the country and the world, but it's a really good Palm restaurant. And I remember right outside the restaurant, they have cool Elvis memorabilia. And I'm a big Elvis Presley fan. So that was really neat to see. Yeah, saw the um, member really did, didn't go there for exactly what you described. I'm one, if I have a chance to go a place that's, that I can't go locally or that I haven't been to before, I'll try something new. And we've been to the Palm in, I believe it was Vegas and definitely in Boston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I know we've been to two of them. I think those are the two we went to. So we didn't go when we were there, but it's it's a great option to have, right? I mean, it's totally. A, uh, if the one down there is anything like the two we've been to, it's definitely a a very high quality, uh, good good place to go have dinner. It's a very good place because you get steaks, seafoods, Italian food. It's a whole mix on the menu, which is great. Um, Dean, this has been fun. We're going to do this again another time. More stuff we love. This is like the the bite-sized stuff we love. I like it. I, I got one more thing we have to love about Hard Rock before we, we drop Absolutely, off. Absolutely, please. How about the convenience to get to the theme parks? As a Disney World fan, I'm a Disney guy <laughs> through and through. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about convenience and where you stay and why we don't want to stay off property and stuff. There is no experience better than going from Hard Rock to Universal Studios. And that includes going from the Contemporary to Magic Kingdom. I would rather do the walk at the Hard Rock. So you, you were looking at it from the walk. In my mind, when you were saying this, I was envisioning the boat ride because it's so quick. 
didn't even bother with the boat yeah the walk is wonderful it's it's, it's a close walk it, it's uh you almost feel like you have a private entrance into the theme park how long would it take you to walk there uh, a couple minutes wow i didn't realize that that's yeah, phenomenal it's quick wow Walking slowly, chasing a kid, maybe five, six minutes. <laughs> and I will say from the boat ride, what, what I like about Universal Studios Orlando is that they have all the boats over at City Walk. And there's one boat that takes you to both Hard Rock and Portofino. And when you pull out of that boat stop, maybe five minutes to get to Hard Rock and another three minutes to get to Portofino, it's right there. And you get the fun of the boat ride, which is really cool. The boats at Universal, I like more than the boats at Disney. And I love the boats at Disney, the friendship boats. They're awesome. They're That's a, lot of fun. a hot take. <laughs> wow. It's By the way, this is, everybody calm down. Don't unsubscribe, please. But it's, <laughs> but all I'm saying is that I love both. I, I happen to be a fan of boat transportation. Right, boat I just like the look of the boats at Universal more. Uh, now, the only drawback to the Universal Boats is that they play the same songs over and over again, <laughs> which true. has been Taylor Swift Love Story on my pre. And I love Taylor Swift, but I don't need to hear Love Story every single time I'm on the boat rides. Um, it's all great. Universal's phenomenal. I mean, you, I don't well, think I've ever had a, a bad donut. How do you how do you not have a great day when you start off walking over to get a voodoo donut? So good. I think voodoo seems to be winning the war versus Everglaze in terms of people's opinions on the donuts, from what I gather. Yeah, I, I love the arguments of folks on Twitter complaining about a $4 donut. Like, that's the expensive thing when you're on vacation down there. Right. <laughs> what about the $20 uh, headband that you need to buy, <laughs> buy the Mickey ears to attach to? It's unbelievable. Um, this is great, though, Dean. Now I'm ready for the Super Bowl, by the way. <laughs> all, all it was week. a great game yesterday. Great game yesterday. <laughs> Congratulations to insert winning team here. <laughs> Dean, who's going to win the Super Bowl? So Give right now, okay, I'm going to make a prediction that Tampa Bay is going to win 34 to 28. Wow. Another hot take. <laughs> Probably wrong. Kansas City wins and it's not close. Give me a score. Mm, 31-17. And with that, we go to the stuff we love segment. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the part of the show where Dean and I tonight are each going to give you a recommendation of something we're enjoying right now. Could be a movie, could be a book, could be a particular friendship boat at Disney, although we're not enjoying that right now. So that doesn't, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, Dean, what is your stuff we love recommendation? I'm going to go right back to the boob tube and give you a television show that I literally just started watching. Please. I think we're two or three episodes in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am a Kelly Cuoco fan to begin with because I like yes. Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. This is not Penny in this show, uh, but Flight Attendant is is grabbed me. It is a fascinating little uh, murder mystery. I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers to say that because I think sure. it's in all the commercials. Um, but I don't think the writing is the best writing on TV. But the the music and the uh, in little intrigue and some of the misdirection and the suspense has been great so far. When you so, say music, are, is it original music or do they use? Yeah, you know, just like you, you ever watch a horror movie with the volume off? They're not Certainly scary. those light nights, you know, when I've left the TV on while falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not scary when you shut the volume off. Right. When, I, when, when someone comes in with the knife and they're just doing this and you don't hear anything. Right. It's not scary, but when it's e e e, so sure. maybe it's the sound mixing and sound, uh, editing and and I never understood the difference in those two Oscars, but um, 
uh, it's just something about the just the the whole uh, the the backdrop of it that has been really compelling. And there's a couple of uh, twists and turns even within the first three episodes, and a cool. couple of characters that have been introduced. And I, I can't wait to see where this show goes. Um, I did hear they're signing up for a season two, and I think that could be a mistake. Uh, unless they're going to just redesign what they're doing with the whole show. Sure. Um, but so far for what they're planning on season one, it, it, it seems like it's going to be a, a good, uh, good little mini series. That's a great recommendation. I know people are loving that. And Kaylee Cuoco got nominated for a golden globe the other day and a video made the rounds on the internet of when she found out she got the nomination and uh, very emotional. She was crying with joy. Pretty good cool. Pretty cool. I did stuff. not know good. that. Good yeah. For her. Um, and that's on HBO max. Correct. It is. Another streaming service. I got them all, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't even want to look at my bill. <laughs> True. I, I give Xfinity credit. I get HBO Max through them. I don't think yeah. it increased my bill. I think it was just included. That's true. That's what they've started doing. I mean, I get HBO Max through YouTube TV where I pay for HBO, which is an extra 15 bucks a month, but you get the HBO Max as well. Not bad. Yeah, so same thing. Through Xfinity, we pay for HBO as part of the whatever package we have. Yeah. And they, they tacked on, uh, we get Peacock and HBO Max at, at no charge to them. Peacock is good. Peacock, I read an article that there are tons of people flocking to Peacock because The Office is now on there. Uh-huh. So good pun. Flocking to Peacock? Yeah. That was not planned. Bird, bird humor is always good. Humor. <laughs> So what is the stuff we love I can give you this evening? Well, uh, I'm going to give you a book recommendation. I think I may have even mentioned it on a recent episode, but I love Frank Sinatra. I am a huge Frank Sinatra fan. And a couple years ago, I read part one of a two-volume biography of Frank Sinatra by the author James Kaplan. And I recently started part two. It's called Sinatra, the Chairman by James Kaplan. And I've read some musical biographies in my life Elvis had a great two-volume biography by Peter Goralnik. The Beatles are, there's this amazing Beatles historian named Mark Lewison that's in the process of writing a three-volume book. The first volume has already come out. And what a lot of them do so well is they really transport the reader to the time and place so vividly. And this Sinatra book does that. I mean, this book takes place, begins after he won his Academy Award for From Here to Eternity. And just the stories it tells about his music that he recorded and how he would work in the recording studio to the films he made and how he worked as an actor and the relationships he had with the directors he worked with to his personal life and his relationship with his first wife, Nancy Sinatra, and his kids. And he was, um, you know, living the bachelor lifestyle in a major way and the relationships he had and the friendships. And, you know, I'm getting now into the Rat Pack days. It's just a fascinating book. And even though it's, I think it's over 900 pages long, which can often make a book difficult to read. This one is very readable. Uh, It's fast paced and and really cool. So I love this book, Sinatra, the chairman. That is my recommendation. Very nice. I just looked up James Kaplan because I recognize the name and it's from a biography he did with John McEnroe back in the day. You can be serious. And yes. I knew I recognized the name and I couldn't place it. I had to Google it. And yeah, but I'm sure this is as well written as that was. That yeah. sounds like it'd be a great book. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Sinatra's great. New Jersey native, of course. Everyone knows that, I think. <laughs> but 
if you've listened to the Stuff We Love podcast, you've heard me rave about adventurers out there travel. I use them for every Disney World vacation I take, and it always enhances my trip experience. Tell us where we can find you, Dean, on social media and uh, through the travel agency. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Butter and Bacon. That is my podcast. Uh, do that with Paul, and and uh, we've had a lot of a lot of guest hosts lately. So uh, you know, you, you being one of them. So come 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 enjoy the mix. Whether it's Nick, Carrie, you know, Amy on some of the older episodes. Totally. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. We we try to do uh, what I would call like evergreen topics. So uh, even if you're listening to shows from a year and a half ago, it, it's hopefully still relevant today. So um, it's a lot of fun. I love being on the episode recently, and I love listening to all the episodes. So great work with the Butter and Bacon podcast. You can find the travel agency Adventure is out there travel at A I O T Travel. Uh, we will help you with your Disney, your Universal, or anywhere else vacation. Uh, we've sent folks literally all over the world, and uh, not many in the last nine months. Uh, <laughs> but folks are doing a little bit of traveling lately, and and so we, we're finding uh, inquiries. And you know, the good thing is we're a no fee agency. You book with us. Disney pays us, not you. So uh, you know, we'll help you bounce ideas. Uh, we have lots of different folks, uh, different agents with the agency. So we'll pair you up with somebody that really uh, meets your needs and, and uh, can talk about the type of trip you want to take. Um, so yeah, come find us on Twitter at AIOT Travel or adventuresoutthertravel.com. You can email me, dean at adventuresoutthertravel.com and, uh, and I will personally help you book your trip. And uh, yeah, I, I suppose if you want to talk about Yankees or uh, cartoons or something you could always look for my personal twitter it's at ct underscore mickey underscore man uh, because i couldn't come up with anything more creative and it was a ripoff of my disboard's name from back in the day but it's perfect because it captures your interest and everything about you perfectly uh, i i do live in connecticut i do like mickey mouse and i am the man so yeah ct mickey man i guess it works is mickey your favorite disney character he is not who is um but i do like mickey oh so this is such a loaded question, right? Because like when I, when you ask me my favorite Disney character, my favorite Disney character is Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. But that's because when I, when you think Disney, when I hear Disney character, I think of like core Disney character. Sure. Like I like Scrooge McDuck more than I like Donald Duck. Right. But I like Mr. Incredible more than I like either of them. But I well, really like Darth I, Vader. I definitely get it. And Yoda. So like, and I like Chris Berman. So like, there's a lot of Disney characters. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It just depends how far you want to uh, put that branch out there of Disney character. But yeah, sure. if you ask me for my favorite core Disney character, I'm, I'm a Donald fan. Love it. Nothing What's I can favorite? add to it. What's your favorite Disney character? I would have said Donald Duck, but now you've got me rethinking my entire Disney fandom. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I normally would say Donald Duck, but you know, now that the Star uh, Disney universe includes Marvel and Star Wars, certainly Yoda would be a candidate. Um, and the Mandalorian could be your favorite Disney character. Mandalorian could be. Um, could be Woody. Could be Buzz Light. I mean, there's so many candidates. But, yeah, well, uh, that's why, uh, like, for those guys, I'd wait and say, like, my favorite Pixar character. Or, true. Yeah, you know, my favorite Star Wars. My favorite Marvel I mean, Captain America. Like, Captain America. Totally. Not Iron Man. Not Iron Man. Okay. No. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you now where you can find Stuff We Love podcast on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, Instagram, Stuff We Love Podcast. You can write to us, Stuff We Love Podcast at gmail.com. Visit us on the web at Stuff We Love Podcast.podbean.com. And please, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show and leave us those good five star reviews, which makes it easier for others to find the podcast. And I am on Twitter at Scotty Boy 4. That's S C O T T Y B O Y 4. 
and I'll talk Yankees. I'll talk Giants. I'll, I'll talk about anything. Just don't interrupt me during the game. <laughs> you know, if you want to talk to me, talk to me during the commercials. But uh, it's been great, Dean. This is always a lot of fun having you on the show. This is great. Happy to join you every time. Love talking about stuff we love. And I love talking about butter and bacon. And we probably should do a food <laughs> episode on one of these uh, these podcasts. That is hashtag the good stuff. Hashtag the good stuff. Hashtag the good stuff we love. The good stuff we love. That's what we, when, when we get together and do these shows together. It's it's the good stuff we love. <laughs> That's true. Now trending. But uh, all right, folks, let's go around the table one more time. I am Scott. I am Dean. And this has been hashtag the good stuff we love on the Stuff We Love podcast <laughs> with a hint of butter and bacon. <laughs>